Jesus was so willing, like totally willing to step into uncomfortable places in order to carry mercy and forgiveness and renewal in life. Sometimes, sometimes he actually offends our need for control. He offends our need for things to fit inside of our boxes. He offends our reason and our logic. <laughs> Last week I mentioned to you a way that we can test the source of things that are supernatural is that Wesleyan quadrilateral scripture the history of the church, like how people have interpreted that, how they've had experiences through the centuries. I'm talking like back to the first century and on. So scripture, history, experience, how have others experienced this and reason. And I mentioned last week that reason is not if you can understand it, it's can I, can I begin to work this through? But one of the things that we do and we're guilty of often is we think anything that's weird violates reason, but it doesn't. Something being weird does not make it not from God. At that point, when our reason or what we consider to be our intellectual capacity to kind of know God and understand his kingdom, when that is violated, many of us just kind of go, oh, I'm out. <laughs> I don't want any of this. But Wesley, when he was talking about reason, was not talking about weird things. Sometimes we actually need to humble ourselves <laughs> and our intellectual arrogance to think that we know all there is to know about the kingdom of God in the spiritual realm. And we need to be okay, actually, with walking through weird things. You know, like just as an example, when Jesus spit into mud and wiped it on a guy's eyes, like that in my category would be considered weird. <laughs> it's not something I have tried or would be excited to try. Jesus was willing to do what the world and what we would consider weird in order to bring the kingdom of God and its chain-breaking, life-saving power to people. And one of the things as a church we have to, we have to surrender and repent of is for automatically dismissing experiences because they're weird to us. Our assessment of what is weird or not weird is not is not an infallible assessment of what's true or not true. And we're talking about the Holy Spirit and sometimes the Holy Spirit invites us into encounters and into realities that are strange for us 
that are a bit frightening for us. And so our tendency is to reject them. But Jesus was willing to look like a fool for the sake of the kingdom. Are you? Are you willing to look like a fool in the eyes of your friends at school? Are you willing to look like a fool in front of your spouse or your family? Are you willing to be a fool? The gospel is foolishness to the wisdom of the world. The question is, are you willing to actually enter into that and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life in ways that violate your need for order and control and your uh, parameters of what is logical and reasonable? Last week, we talked about... um, the fact that we have to kind of back up when speaking of the Holy Spirit to just talk about this larger meta-narrative that we have through Scripture. And this larger meta-narrative that we have through Scripture is that the universe is what is called organic, meaning that there are the natural things that kind of exist and function by natural laws. There are our physical bodies, there are physical things that we are um, walking on and touching and experiencing. There are physical realities like the law of gravity, um, you know, thermodynamics. All of these things are real. But God's universe is not just bound mechanically to physical laws. God's universe is organic, meaning that there are spiritual things going on even right now, in the present, in this space, right now, in spiritual places, there are things going on that influence and impact how we are actually engaging in this moment. That's why I just, that's why I pray the way I do every Sunday. Not out of fear, not out of sort of some kind of a religious sort of just routine or rote. I pray that way to acknowledge what is happening spiritually and to assert boundaries on what the enemy can and can't do. But if you don't think the enemy is present here, you're gravely mistaken. These are the places that uh, people get together to curse actively. Like our our churches are actively being cursed. Demonic spirits are being sent here to infiltrate the church and the body of Christ, to sow division. You think that the division the church experiences is just the result of the natural. It's not. There are groups of people who meet and engage in religious ceremony to invoke demonic spirits to cause disruption and disturbance, division, hatred, animosity, all of those things. They get sent as assignments against the church. It's real, it happens. The the pagan festival happening literally right now across at Fireman's Park, that's not fairy tale. 
They are engaging in spiritual powers of darkness that are real. It's not just make-believe. And the Bible teaches us that the spiritual realm and the natural realm are intertwined. They're inter infused together and that the spiritual realm is regularly interfering with the natural. That's what scripture teaches. We live in an organic universe and we ourselves are spiritual beings in that universe. Why does that matter? Why even talk about that? Because I want you to realize, not in fear, but in sobriety, I want you to realize that God is not the only unhuman spirit that has a plan for your life. Satan is a sentient being. He's intelligent. He has power. He has volition. He has authority on the earth that Jesus recognized. And he has a plan for your life. He's a non-human spiritual being that has a plan to steal and kill and destroy on the earth. The reason this is important is we can't get stuck in la-la land believing that God is the only spiritual being and he's the only being who has any influence or effect on the earth and he's the only one with a plan for your life. Yes, God does have a plan for your life. He's got a good one. He's got a great purpose for your life. He's got uh, gifts that he's given you. He's got a calling on your life. There's so much about your life that God wants to bless and he wants to steward his goodness in you. But you have to recognize he's not the only spiritual being with a plan for your life. You are not just the product of your bad decisions or good ones. There are spiritual realities around us that have direct consequential influence in our lives, that's what we were talking about last week. And the reason, again, that's important is because God is not the only one who has ideas about what he wants for you. The enemy does too. Bye, mommy, that's so sweet. <laughs> I wish my kids talked to me like that still. They don't. So the Holy Spirit, I want to just do a quick survey here. In Scripture, all right, the Holy Spirit, in the Old Testament, starting right from Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit is present in creation. The Holy Spirit is present in creation. He's hovering over the formless surface of the waters, Genesis 1. I want to just draw to your attention, you know, we talked about it in the Revelation series, but in ancient Near Eastern cultures, in the ancient Hebrew culture, in the culture of the people who wrote scripture, um, the waters that it talks about in Genesis 1, also the waters talked about in Revelation, are not just natural bodies of water. They're not just oceans or lakes or rivers. These actually were a ways uh, to talk about the spirit realm. And so we see even at the beginning of Genesis, the Holy Spirit is present and he's hovering over the waters. He's hovering over what the Bible describes as chaos, unorder, uh, and that, for any Hebrew reading this, would have meant evil. 
The Holy Spirit is hovering over, but there is a presence on the earth. We're introduced right in Genesis 1, a disordering presence of evil that has spiritual realities. And so the Holy Spirit is present in Genesis 1 as, uh, as the person, as the one hovering over the formless surface of the waters. The Holy Spirit in the scriptures, Genesis 6, he's an agent of judgment of humanity. The Holy Spirit acts as an agent in the judgment of humanity in the flood. I'm just giving you some Old Testament Holy Spirit kind of stuff. As an agent, the Holy Spirit exists in the Old Testament as an agent of prophetic revelation. It's through the Holy Spirit that the leaders of Israel, Joseph, Moses, the elders, Joshua, like you, you name it, it's through the Holy Spirit that they receive prophetic insight. The Holy Spirit is active and at work way back in the beginning pages of scripture. He's present and he's at work in humanity and on the earth. Again, we live in an organic universe. The Holy Spirit is at work in humanity, but he's also at work on the earth. We see in scripture as well that the Holy Spirit was instrumental and at work in even non-Jewish prophets like Balaam in Numbers 24. We see the Holy Spirit as the one who creatively equips the leaders in Israel to build and uh, create the temple and everything that comes with that, the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit comes upon them supernaturally to creatively allow them to create all of the furnishings for the temple or the tabernacle in Israel. It's the Holy Spirit who is infusing them with the power and capacity to build and design. The Holy Spirit is also in the Old Testament recorded as acting in different types of capacity, infusing with life, guiding and empowering and judging. He's present on the earth in the Old Testament. In the minor prophets, near the end of the Old Testament, we see this ramping up of language to talk about the Holy Spirit. And Joel 2, I'll just read this. This is before Jesus comes on the earth, before the Holy Spirit is given by Jesus to us. Joel 2 says this, after doing all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. And so we see this kind of escalating reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit, even from the beginning pages of Scripture. So the universe is spiritual and natural. You and I, created in God's image, are spiritual beings, and the Holy Spirit is present on the earth, but he's also now present. We see this ramping up through Jesus. He becomes present in the lives of those who surrender their heart to Jesus. So then what's the problem? <laughs> where did we kind of go wrong? Genesis 3 is where we went wrong. And this is where we begin uh, 
and we need to actually have a, a, a sober remembering of the reality of the results of the fall. Because if we're honest, we look at things like maybe that pagan festival or maybe your friends who are involved in all kinds of stuff and we're like, ah, it's not so bad. It's not really that bad. Like, things will probably work out. They'll probably be okay. It's not really that bad. We live with this kind of rose-colored uh, glasses view of the world around us that it's, it's, it's not really as bad as we make it out to be. But that's actually not what Scripture says. Scripture says that as a result of the fall, Adam and Eve giving into temptation and sin, there were devastating consequences that are building in their magnitude to this day. As a result of Genesis 3, of Adam and Eve choosing to rebel against God, we fell under a curse, Scripture says, and that curse brings us under the power and rulership of Satan, humanity. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me, you can read it on the screen, pull it up on your phone, whatever. John 14, 30 and 31. Jesus is talking about the reality of the curse. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler, the ruler of this world, approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. The Greek word for ruler is archon. That means the highest possible level of authority and leadership. Jesus is saying because of the fall, we don't live in a neutral space. We're not in a neutral territory. We're not Switzerland here. <laughs> We're not neutral here, that because of the fall, Satan has become the ruler of this world, the highest authority of the world. John, 1 John 5, 19, this is how the apostle John describes it. We know that we are children of God and that the world is under the control of the evil one. Let's move on, Luke 4. This is the temptation of Jesus. I'm just painting a picture here of what the consequence of the fall was. Because we can't pretend anymore like it wasn't really a thing. Like there really isn't bondage and brokenness and death and destruction that the enemy isn't really exerting his influence on the world. Yes, we see a ton of goodness and we see a lot of life and that is the grace of God. If God withdrew his hand from this world, it would be unimaginable suffering. It would be Auschwitz for all of us all the time. And so yes, there is goodness and there is life because of the grace and the presence of God, but that doesn't diminish the reality, the pervasive reality of the controlling and powerful influence of the enemy. In the temptation, of Christ, this is what it says in Luke 4, then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Here's what Satan says to Jesus. I, Satan, will give you, Jesus, <laughs> the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. Why? 
This is Satan. Because they are what? They are mine. You can't give someone something that is not yours. Satan goes on. They are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Notice how Jesus doesn't say, no, that's not true, devil. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's what it says in Psalms. That's what David says. How do we reconcile these two things? Yeah, God created the heavens and the earth. They're his, but the rights to humanity have been given, have been bought by the kingdom of darkness at the fall. And that is coming with devastating consequences. Satan is saying, look, the kingdoms of the earth are mine. I have authority over them and I can do whatever I want with them. And Jesus does not correct him in any way. So what are the implications of coming under the curse, under the rulership of the kingdom of darkness? Number one, humanity is blind and unable to see the good news. Paul doesn't say, hey, we're just struggling. We're like, we can kind of see. He says that humanity, apart from Christ, apart from the influence of the Holy Spirit, is blind. Blind. It's not, we're not talking about, uh, you know, like margins of sort of kind of 60% or 50. No, humanity has been blinded by the effects of the fall. They're blind to the enemy's work in their life, to his influence and his authority. They're blind in such a way that even across the street, many of them think that they are doing good. Many of them think that they're blessing and they're invoking good spirits and that they're actually doing good and healthy things. Why? Because they're blinded by the enemy of God. There's no neutral source of power here. If you're not operating under the authority of Jesus, you're operating under the authority of the enemy. So a result of the fall is that humanity is blind. Number two, not only are we blind, we're unable to understand. We cannot comprehend the message of Jesus. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4.4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. What does Jesus say in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. So where do we see this interaction of the Holy Spirit? What is part of the 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 responsibility and the role of the Holy Spirit is what? It's to introduce humanity to the reality and the truth of the kingdom of God. The role of the Holy Spirit is to draw us to the Father. The role of the Holy Spirit is to open our eyes so that we can see the reality of the kingdom of God and what Jesus came to do in breaking the chains and the bonds of the enemy over the earth. Without the Holy Spirit present, it is impossible to see or understand God. And that's just a consequence. We have to actually come to grips with that. That's a consequence of the fall. Number three, 
humanity is not only blind, not only unable to understand, but humanity is enslaved to sin. Romans 6, 16 to 18, don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. That's Paul in Romans. Jesus in John 8 says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son, Jesus, sets you free, you're truly free. So the Bible uses this analogy of slavery to express the consequential reality of sin and the rulership of the kingdom of darkness on the earth. Romans 1.1, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. You're either a slave to Christ or a slave to the enemy. There's no in-between where you just get to choose and pick. Scripture doesn't give us a middle space here, and I understand this is really hard. Like, this, like These are like horse pills to try and swallow. I'm not trying to intimidate you or overwhelm you or offend you or cause you distress. I'm just trying to get us to wrestle with the reality. The reason that you don't pray for your friends and family the way God has called you to is because you don't really believe they're dead and sick and broken. You don't really believe there's no hope for them apart from Christ. You don't really believe in your own life there's no hope apart from Christ. And so we take on this passive, reflective, weak Christianity where we just let the world kind of pummel us left and right and center. But scripture gives us this picture that you're either a slave to Christ or a slave to the kingdom of darkness. There's no in-between that we get to pick and choose. Romans 6, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Second Peter 1.1, this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave, an apostle of Jesus. Revelation 22, I want you just to notice this. Revelation 22 is talking about our eternal state. Like after Jesus comes back, after the, the judgment of the world has happened, all after he recreates the heavens and the earth, and we are living in our eternal, eternal reality with him on the earth. This is the context. Revelation 22, no longer will there be a curse upon anything. Jesus wouldn't say there will no longer be a curse if there wasn't a curse to begin with. <laughs> For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. Do you know that the Greek word for servants is the word for slave? Again, here's a really hard thing and I'm, I'm being intentionally very, as direct as I can to provoke you this morning, to stir you. Jesus says that our eternal position to him as our good father, living in the joy of eternity, our eternal position to him is as a slave. 
And that Greek word for slave, it's, I mean, it's offensive even to hear it in English for us, but it means exactly what you would think. Some of our translations use servant because we're so uncomfortable <laughs> with the connotation of slavery. We're so, it's, uh, trust me, it's awkward looking at you right now <laughs> to say that word like so many times in a row. But the scriptures are clear. Either you surrender your life to Jesus, offer it to him, accept that he purchased it with his blood on the cross, and you are forever his son or daughter. That word slavery connotes ownership. Paul says you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Your body, by the way, culture says it's yours to do with whatever you want. If you are following Jesus, if you are living under the authority of scripture, your body's not your own. You've given up your rights to your body. You've given up your rights to do with it whatever you want, to express sexual gratification in whatever way you want, to, to identify in whatever way you want. You've given that up. As a result of the fall, we can either be enslaved by the kingdom of darkness or we can bring ourselves under a good shepherd, a good father, a good master and follow Jesus willingly because he doesn't beat us with a stick. His yoke is easy, but there's still a yoke, right? His yoke is easy, but there's still a yoke there. And so his invitation is to follow him because he's good and he has a design and a plan for your life. The enemy will promise you many things and they all lead to more suffering and more death. The enemy doles out power. It's true, he does. He doles out power to people that have been involved in the occult and witchcraft. You know exactly what I'm talking about because you've experienced it. You've experienced the rush and exhilaration of it, but that power comes with bondage and death, not life. Jesus came to bring life. Number four, result of the fall is humanity is subjected to spiritual and physical death. Romans five, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. So why, why does it matter? Why am I, I'm not trying to depress you this morning. I know it's heavy. Why does this matter? Because John tells us that Jesus came to destroy the work of the enemy. That Jesus came to with his power and his authority, unshackle you from your slavery to the enemy of God, to give you life and full life, to actually bring you peace and joy and rest and goodness in your life. Jesus came to destroy the authority and the rule of Satan's kingdom and dominion on the earth. 
Jesus came to a foreign sort of kingdom, which was the earth under Satan's rule. And he says, I'm going to establish a new kingdom on this earth again. I'm going to renew what the father wanted to do from the beginning. But the earth has been un under the slavery of the enemy of God. And so this new kingdom comes in as a revolutionary kingdom. And Jesus is asking, do you want to follow me and my kingdom, which brings life and peace? Or do you want to continue in your delusion that somehow you're free, but you're not really free? And we want to say we have free will, which we do, but we have limited free will. You didn't get to choose whose parents created you. There's many things in our life that we don't get to choose, even though we have a limited free will. The question on the table is who are you going to give your allegiance to? It's the first question. Is your allegiance in life gonna to go toward Jesus or toward the enemy? The reason this matters is because God is not the only divine being that has a plan for your life. But Jesus is your only hope. He's the only one that can save you. He's the only one that can set you free and redeem you. He's the only one that did what was necessary to undo the curse, to break its power over humanity. And his invitation to you is, would you come to me? And this is where we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Maybe he's even convicting you or stirring you right now. Maybe your stomach is in knots and you're not sure what it's from. It is the Holy Spirit stirring and convicting you. Convic placing the reality of Jesus of Nazareth in your purview and saying, would you want to surrender and give up your life to follow him? That's the part of the role of the Holy Spirit on the earth is to be going into dark places like your heart and my heart, like your pain and my pain, like the brokenness going on in the world. The Holy Spirit is walking across the street right now. He's there. The Holy Spirit is in dark places, inviting humanity to come to Jesus. And before we settle anything else about the Holy Spirit's work and power in our life, we're gonna get to that stuff. We're gonna get to his power and we're gonna get to his nature and his character. But before we settle that, we have to establish who are you serving in life? Have you actually surrendered your life to Jesus? Or are you believing you can just make it on your own? Hope that the good outweighs the bad. Are you relying on karma or on other things? Jesus today, he's inviting you to come to him. In him, there's life and freedom. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. I'm gonna invite you to come, Liz, wherever you are. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you're living a, a broken, constricted life. You are totally at the mercy of your anger and your outbursts and your emotional life. And, 
and you're totally at the mercy of the horrible stuff maybe that's happened to you in the past or that's going on even in the present. And Jesus is saying, would you invite me into those spaces? I can bring you life. The only legitimate healing we will ever receive is from Jesus. Some of you, it's time to get off the fence and stop trying to have it both ways. Jesus is asking not just for part of you, but for all of you. Why? <laughs> because in your high school halls, he wants the kingdom of God to be present and his healing and restorative power to be at work through you in your workplace. He wants his peace and his life to flow out of you in your communities with your neighbors. And in this Niagara region, he's, he's inviting, he wants people that are carrying his kingdom presence to bring the restoration and the life that is in him to a broken and dark world. But you can't do that when you're playing on both sides of the fence. So the Holy Spirit is inviting you to a decision. What side of the fence are you gonna be on? Are you gonna walk in the kingdom of God or not? And it's your choice. If you're experiencing conviction even now, it's, that's the Holy Spirit and the difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of the enemy is the Holy Spirit's always specific. He'll say, hey, this thing in your life, I want, I, I want you to surrender that to me. Why? So that I can bring healing and restoration and give you life there. The enemy is always general. He says, you're a failure. You're a quitter. You'll never win. You'll never kick this. You're, nobody likes you. Your family hates you. Generalized statements like that, that are, those do not come from the Holy Spirit. Those come from the enemy. The Holy Spirit is wanting to draw you to the presence of Jesus for your healing and restoration in life. And he'll be honest with you about the stuff that you need to address and deal with. But that honesty is not to oppress you or to shame you or condemn you. It's actually to bring you freedom in life. Why don't you stand with me this morning? God thought so much of you, so much of you that he sent his son to suffer on your behalf. You're not just this helpless pawn in this great spiritual war. God thought so much of you that he said, I'm gonna send my son to redeem and to buy and to transfer them from the kingdom of darkness into light. 
because I love them. There's a great battle going on and it's a battle for your allegiance. With Jesus, there's life and peace and hope. I just want to invite you to just close your eyes with me. And I just want to ask Holy Spirit that you would search us, examine our hearts this morning, that you would draw everyone under the sound of my voice to Jesus right now. In Jesus' name, I cancel the blinding effects of the enemy of God. I destroy every intellectual argument, any proud thought that is opposed to the knowledge of God right now. In Jesus' name, I command them to be destroyed. I forbid the enemy of God from having influence right now in anyone's heart or their mind or their life. I ask Holy Spirit, that you would engage in the work of the kingdom in us right now. that I don't know or understand in each person's life here. I ask that you would just reveal in your goodness areas of bondage and brokenness that you want to bring healing to. Pain and turmoil that you want to set right. Holy Spirit in your compassion for those who are kind of on the fence not sure where they stand with Jesus or whether they even want to walk with him I ask Holy Spirit that you would draw them to the Father release the ministry of your spirit in our areas of brokenness and need. often, but I
want to invite you as a physical demonstration that corresponds with whatever's happening spiritually. If you are here and you, maybe you've been a Christian a long time, maybe you're not even, but you want to actually give Jesus your total allegiance in life. Maybe you've been sort of playing in the margins and engaging in practices and activities that you know grieve the heart of God. And he's inviting you to lay those down, surrender them to him. I just, I want to invite you this morning, if you want to surrender your allegiance to Jesus in every area of your life, whether you've been a Christian a long time or not at all, I want to invite you to just come to the front. This is where we bring the reality of the kingdom into our physical reality. And if Jesus has been tugging on your heart, the Holy Spirit's been convicting you, I want to invite you to respond as an act of obedience, not to please me. I'm not insecure about this. If he's not, then don't. But I just want to invite you to come. So you can even come right now if that's you. If you just sense that Jesus is asking you to surrender like everything to him, to give him allegiance in every space and place in your life. If you feel like you've been kind of withholding or hopping the fence on either side, he's inviting you to himself now. He's inviting you to the Father. He's inviting you to freedom in life. And so I wanna just invite you to come. If you've been playing religious games your whole life, maybe you've come faithfully every Sunday, but the reality of the kingdom is not found in your Monday to Saturday, I wanna invite you to come. You might have a lot of doctrinal knowledge and theology and smart intellect, but Jesus is asking for your life. So I wanna invite you to come.